Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I said we must be cautious that only God is I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice of the desert. Now, here's Kristen. Hello, everyone. Happy Wednesday to you all. Hope you're having a fantastic week. You're listening to KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. We're coming to you live from Studio B at Liberty Baptist Church on Rainbow and Lake Mead Boulevard here in the city. If you'd like to join us on Sunday morning, our services are at 8. No. Sunday school's at 8.30. Services are at 9.30 and 11.15. had to think there for a second. My brain wasn't functioning as quickly as I was talking. If you'd like to be part of the show, you can tweet me at the Frittle or email us, radio at experienceliberty.com, or of course you can always call us at 702-647-4522. Thanks to those of you tuned in on the 405media.com, and don't forget, you can now find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can get past episodes of the show. Enjoy. Listen, share, all those wonderful, cool social things. All right, so horrible, horrible news out of Istanbul yesterday. Uh, I I've flew through Istanbul, mm, let's see, probably five or six years now. Um, nice airport, great people. Spent uh, a very long layover there, I think. I can't remember if we stayed. I think we did stay overnight there. I remember we were there for, for a, a while during our long layover, but... Um, you know, it's just horrific. You had three uh, ISIS suicide bombers that did a coordinated attack inside the international's arrival terminal. Actually, I think it was it was on the same terminal. One was specifically targeting the international area, though, and just horrific. I mean, there is, and I'm surprised they've released this actually, but there is security camera footage. You can actually watch these guys going in. With automatic weapons, which, by the way, are illegal in Turkey. So, that's, I mean, just saying. They're illegal there, and they had them, and they were using them. But you can you see uh, one in particular, one of these guys gets shot, and uh, it appears to be shot repeatedly in this one bit of, of footage, and then afterwards blows himself up. I mean, it's just horrific. These videos and people running and screaming. I My heart hurts for Istanbul this morning. I think now there's the death toll is up to 41. Turkish officials are saying it will probably rise to 50. And we have 239 people injured. It is unreal. Our prayers for Turkey and Istanbul this morning. This is from DailyMail.com. Uh, witnesses have described the terrifying moment three suicide bombers launched a coordinated attack on the Istanbul airport that has left at least 41 dead, saying there was blood and body parts everywhere. Shocking footage has shown an explosion at the door to the arrivals hall by a suicide bomber before another two attackers snuck into the building and detonated their devices. 
23 of the victims were Turkish citizens and 13 foreign nationals were also among the casualties, an official has said. A total of 41 people have already been confirmed dead, but Turkish officials said that number is expected to rise to 50. This morning, the airport has reopened while investigators pieced together what happened just hours after the attacks, which also left 239 people injured. One of the passengers who was traveling through Ataturk Airport at the time of the blast was Lawrence Cameron, a British cameraman who was traveling from Latvia to Izmir on the Turkish coast. It's just terrible. uh, He believes his plane had just arrived as the bombs began to detonate. As he walked into the terminal, unaware of what had just happened, he was met with chaos, panic, and fear. It must have been just as we touched down, he told Mail Online. I did not even hear the explosions, but as I walked out and around the corner, the whole building was running, screaming towards me. It was just mass panic, guards running around with guns. Mr. Cameron, originally from Kent, was stuck for half an hour waiting at customs before he and his fellow passengers were allowed through and out the terminal. However, the only way to leave the building was to go through the very place where the bombs had been detonated less than an hour before. There was blood on the floor. It was just horrendous debris everywhere. A lot of the ceiling panels had fallen down, smashed all over the floor. Coming out of the taxi rank, it was just full of ambulances. Blood was smeared all up on the parking lot. People were in tears, especially people with families. They were quite clearly traumatized. There was a lot of uncertainty. No one really knew what was going on. Were we safe where we were? He added, there's nowhere to go out but through passport control if you're in the airport terminal. It's not nice. It should be safe. But at that moment, it was not. Two South African tourists, Paul and Susie Roos from Cape Town, were also at the airport and due to fly home at the time of the explosions and were making their way up to the departure hall, a floor above the arrivals. We came up from the arrivals to the departure, up the escalator when we heard these gunshots going off. There was this guy going around. He was dressed in black and he had a gun. He added, we came right to international departures and saw the man randomly shooting. He was just firing at anyone coming in front of him. His face was not masked. I was 50 meters away from him. We ducked behind a counter, but I stood up and watched him. Two explosions went off shortly, one after another. By that time, he had stopped shooting. He turned around and started coming towards us. He was holding his gun inside his jacket. He looked around anxiously to see if anyone was going to stop him and then went down the escalator. We heard some more gunfire, then another explosion, and then it was over. Another witness who was at the arrival hall when the attack took place said there was a huge huge explosion, extremely loud. The roof came down. Inside the airport is terrible. You can't even recognize it. A German woman said everyone started running away. Everywhere was covered with blood and body parts. I saw bullet holes in the door. Somebody came and shot at us, and then my sister was running. I don't know which way she was running, and after that I was falling down. I was on the ground till he finished, and I still can't find my sister. That's just absolutely terrible. And ISIS is, is claiming responsibility for the attacks. I believe the Turkish government has has credited, if you will, ISIS with this attack as well. And I have to remember, this is a people group. This is this is their mission in life. This is why they believe they exist to exterminate. To eliminate anyone and everyone who maybe doesn't line up with exactly what they believe. Any infidels. And anyone who happens to be where the infidels are, well, just collateral damage. They don't care about human life. They have zero regard for human life. And it's an ideology that is causing this. And quite frankly, I'm surprised that it's taken 
this long. I'm surprised that there hasn't been a terrorist attack in an airport terminal before. So I do a, or at least I, I used to do a good bit of international travel. In particular, you know, the security in, in terminals just coming and going before you go through security or after you've come out and you're headed to baggage claim. There's so many people just waiting in line to, to even to get into security, to check in. Like, it, where, where, every time I've flown, I've thought that. You know, I'm, I'm just, so I sadly wasn't shocked when I saw this. And it's we we've got to do something about ISIS. We've got to do something about the ideology that is driving this. And we have to pray. We have to pray that God will be merciful, not just to our country, but to our world. Because people need Jesus. And until people's lives and their hearts and their minds are changed, this is going to continue and it's going to get worse. But we have a, a lot of headlines today. We focused a lot on the Supreme Court ruling yesterday, so we missed a lot of different things that are happening uh, in the news, including uh, the Benghazi report came out yesterday. A new book about the Clintons came out yesterday. We're going to cover both of those things, and uh, Ben Howe will be here at the bottom of the hour. But let's start with some other some other news items. Um, this is from the Washington Free Beacon. The U.S. government is cash funding anti-Israel groups. The U.S. government funnels millions of taxpayer dollars into groups that promote anti-Israel and anti-Semitic views, according to a forthcoming report from a watchdog for non-governmental organizations. Determining the exact dollar amount is impossible to total, uh, yeah, to total due to a lack of transparency and widespread discrepancies in federal spending databases, the group NGO Monitor found in a new study that will be published later this month. U.S. grants have gone to organizations that have international community to divest from Israel, rationalize terror attacks against the Jewish state, and compared Israel Israelis to Nazis. Naftali Balinson, the chief of staff at NGO Monitor, said groups that promote policies that directly contradict U.S. government support for peace efforts should be disqualified from receiving funding. <laughs> yeah, think. We encourage the end of all funding, both directly and indirectly, for NGOs that participate in the demonization and delegitimization okay, delegitimized is the word, but add shun on the end, and I can't say it today. Campaigns, Boston said during a meeting last week on Capitol Hill. When you have organizations that are receiving money for peace, human rights, and democracy, but they refuse to work with Israeli partners, they refuse to meet with Israelis, they push for boycotts, those are in direct contradiction and seem to be a complete waste of taxpayer money. The NGO Monitor report cited Jewish Voice for Peace, American Friends Service Committee, and the New York-based Rockefeller Brothers Fund as groups that engage in anti-Israel rhetoric. The National Endowment for Democracy, which provides more than 1,200 NGO grants worldwide, is funded largely by, largely by Congress and is dependent on continued support from the White House. The organization pours taxpayer money into the Human Rights and Democracy Media Center, which accuses Israel of ethnic cleansing, targeting innocent people, and calls it the state of terrorism and an enemy of women. Wow. I, it's, it's Can you say troubling? I mean, I say this all the time. I'm going to say it again. The Israel-Palestine conflict is not hard to understand. And yet, we, we continue to, 
well, not we. I, I use we in a in a very broad stroke there. Many people continue to paint the two sides as being equally terroristic in nature, but they're not. One side believes in freedom. One side offers free speech and freedom of religion. One side supports America and Americans and American values. The other side does not support freedom of religion. The other side calls us the great Satan. The other side would be the Palestinians. And their main objective is that they want Israel gone. That's really the conflict in a nutshell. One side wants the other side dead. That's it. It's not rocket science. But by the way, Israel's pretty good with the rocket science. I mean, their missile defense system is amazing. But we need to stand with Israel. We must stand with Israel. We must pray for peace in Jerusalem. And, you know, it's kind of hard to do. When you're on your knees praying for Israel one minute, and the next minute your government is handing your tax dollars to those who would destroy Israel. I mean, the good news, though, is that God is still in control. And guess what? God is on Israel's side. No matter what happens, he always has been, and he always will be in control, and he's always going to be on Israel's side. So if we know anything at all, it would benefit us to stay on his side and to stay on Israel's side. All right, let's bring it back to the U.S. here. The Marines have removed 19 references to, quote, man, unquote, from their job titles. <laughs> it's like person or human or woman or female. Like all those words have a, have a man reference in them. I mean, surely they're going to be offensive next, right? And we're going to have to remove all references to person because it has the word son in it or human because it has the word man or female because it has the word male. Woman has the word man. I mean, come on. This is from Louder with Crowder. Marines caved to political correctness remove man from 19 job titles. Thousands of Marines serving throughout the infantry and in other key positions are about to get new gender-neutral job titles, but the service's top leaders are pushing to leave the word man in some of its most iconic occupations. In all, the Marine Corps plans to rename 19 of its military occupational specialties as a result of a months-long review mandated by Navy Secretary Ray Mabus. So I think these are what the new names will be. Basic Infantry Marine, instead of Infantryman. Riverine Assault Craft Marine, Light Armor Vehicle Marine, Reconnaissance Marine. To include three other recon-related jobs that once included the word man. Infantry Assault Marine, Basic Field Artillery Marine, Field Artillery Fire Control Marine, Field Artillery Sensor Support Marine, Fire Support Marine, Basic Engineer Current Construction and Equipment Marine, Basic Tank and Assault Amphibious Vehicle Marine, Armor Marine, Amphibious Assault Vehicle Marine, Amphibious Combat Vehicle Marine. Okay, so uh, seriously, if you're this sensitive over a job description... Um, so, so what are you going to do? What if your, what if your officer doesn't call you an infantry assault marine? What if your officer slips up and calls you an infantryman and like you're a girl? Are, are you going to be insulted? Are you going to talk back? Well, guess what? If you get insulted over being called an infantryman and you're in the Marines and you're a girl, maybe, maybe you're too sensitive to actually be a Marine. I mean, seriously, who decided that this was a good idea? I know that the naval secretary uh, mandated it, but who were the geniuses that sat around and were like, okay, 
these titles of our job descriptions, they have the word man in them. And there are girls in the Marines now, and these girls, it might hurt their feelings if we call them an infantryman. But for real, they're Marines. Come on. They're going to get offended by being called an infantryman instead of an infantry artillery Marine. But then, you know, maybe maybe they're just not cut out for the Marines. Because if you're that sensitive, I have a feeling the rest of the Marine Corps life is probably not going to go well for you. Just a thought. I mean, political correctness, it kills a culture. It's killing our culture, and it's killing freedom. I mean, you're not free to your own thoughts or opinions anymore. You're only free to thoughts and opinions and beliefs that don't offend anyone else. Which, by the way, that's every thought. It's every opinion. Regardless of which side it's on, whatever it is that you think, it's going to offend someone else somewhere at some time. There is always going to be someone who disagrees with you. So then what happens? We reach a place where everyone's offended by everything. And then what? Who determines at that point what is or is not okay to think or believe or to speak? Well, that would be the government. At that point, they have to, because there has to be some kind of limit. And yet that very intervention which is required because of where society is heading, is exactly what our fa founding fathers fought against and wrote against in the Constitution, which is ironic. I'm excited about our 4th of July show, by the way. You don't want to miss that. I'm excited to talk about our founders, why America is great, what made her great, and what keeps her great. It's going to be a good show. Actually, all of next week, we're doing some American Hero segments. We're going to talk a lot about America. It's going to be fabulous. Don't miss out next week. Oh, and uh, speaking of the Constitution, did you hear about this? President Obama has removed the phrase bear arms from the citizenship oath. Not a joke. From the Federalist Papers. Uh, Obama removes bear arms clause from citizenship oath. When an immigrant takes the oath to become a United States citizen, a certain kind of responsibility is taken on by said person. This person chooses to leave behind all other national allegiances and chooses to take on the rights and responsibilities of a United States citizen. citizen. While it is a joy to do this, it does not come without a certain responsibility. In the citizenship oath, a person must, as part of the pledge, maintain a willingness to bear arms on behalf of the United States in defense of the homeland. Certainly no small responsibility. However, the Obama administration is removing this clause from the oath and is thus taking away a huge part of the responsibility associated with being a citizen. Rich Tucker at Breitbart reported on this, saying, Under the Obama administration's expansive interpretation of executive authority, legal immigrants seeking citizenship through the nation's naturalization process are now exempt from a key part of the oath of allegiance. Immigrants seeking to become citizens no longer have to pledge to bear arms on behalf of the United States. They can opt out of that part of the oath. Nor do they have to cite any specific religious belief that forbids them to perform military service. The pledge to help defend America was good enough for 6.6 .6 million immigrants naturalized since 2005 and good enough for the over 15 million naturalized since 1980, but Obama's appointees think that it is too much to ask of the 18.7 million estimated legal immigrants eligible today for eventual naturalization or the 750,000 who will be naturalized in the coming year. This radical change was announced a year ago in July of 2015. Congress did not enact the change in new legislation. There was no congressional debate, no filibuster in the U.S. Senate, and no sit-in in the House to demand 
that a bill to repeal this action be brought to a vote. The timing of this change could not be more symbolic of the utter contempt the Obama administration has for our current immigration system. Just days after the Supreme Court split their decision on his executive order on amnesty, thus upholding the ruling of the Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, all of a sudden now there is less responsibility for indicating an American citizen. I mean, if a person is not required to be ready to bear arms in defense of our union, ultimately then what responsibility does that person have? Effectively none. He gains all the rights guaranteed by the Constitution, but none of the responsibility that naturally corresponds to political and civil rights. Rights without responsibilities. Doesn't that sound familiar? It seems to be the mantra of Washington, D.C. today in the particular administration currently in power. And that is one of the reasons why it's important that we remember that our rights, where they come from? Who gave them to us? Can we keep our republic? Will we keep our republic? Again, next week, I'm saving so much to talk about next week. I can't wait. You're, you're going to love it. It's going to be all about America. All right. We've got to take a break. Today's programming is brought to you by Krispy Kreme Donuts Fundraising Opportunities. Krispy Kreme fundraisers are available year-round. They can take place over one to two days or one to two weeks. If your educational, religious community, or charitable cause is looking for a fun way to meet your financial goals, Krispy Kreme can help. Krispy Kreme provides free fundraising materials for your use, and you can visit KrispyKreme.com slash fundraising or your local Krispy Kreme to learn more. Our thanks to Krispy Kreme for their support of KVXL programming. All right, we're going to play uh, Greater, or no, we're not. We're going to play At the Cross from Chris Tomlin, and we'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. Caleb Howe, editor at Red State, is going to be joining us. You do not want to miss it. And welcome back. You're listening to 101.1 FM, KVXL, here in Las Vegas. We have Caleb Howes on the line. Caleb is the Associate Managing Editor at Red State. Caleb, thanks for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, anytime. anytime. It's always good to talk with you. So, uh, obviously, we've got some a ton of big news today. Uh, I've already talked about Chris Tomlin and his friend Ramirez and ISIS and that continuing evil that we're facing. But uh, what we haven't talked about yet, what I've been saving for you, is right. the Clintons. Because, I mean, I know how much you love them. and uh, They're my favorite. That's they're, right. Right, exactly. So I'm sure uh, your favorite book is the one that just came out, Crisis of Character, which uh, is apparently on the bestseller list just from pre-sales. I mean, nobody's even really read this book, and it's already a bestseller. And it, I, I haven't read it uh, yet. But uh, from what I've been reading as far as the reviews, it's full of the garbage we've come to expect from the Clintons. Is there anything that you've seen from this book? I don't know if you've read it or not, if you've just seen the headlines. Is there anything that you've seen that actually surprises you? Well, I don't think they have any. If they said to me uh, that this book reveals that Hillary Clinton has been taking large sums of gold in the shape of uh, you know, ancient Egyptian idols <laughs> from aliens, I'd be like, nah, I can see that. That, that sort of tracks me. You know, before you move off uh, Istanbul, I yeah. just want to say one yeah. thing. I have a I have a new article that just went up in Red State about uh, about 30 minutes ago, and this is something I hadn't realized. But did you know that today is the two year anniversary? It's, it's been two years today since ISIS claimed their caliphate, mm. and they have put out a uh, infographic through their Anak news agency 
um, explaining the, the gains that they've made in their two years of terror. And one of the things that they cited on there was the countries that they have covert operations in, and Turkey was listed on that. Wow. So that is interesting. But back to, uh, back to Hillary, I don't think it's possible uh, to be surprised, although it is still possible to be shocked and outraged. Yeah that she gets away with things like her callous response uh, yesterday about the uh, Benghazi report. Yeah. Well, let's move on. Which is, which is just amazing. We'll get to Benghazi in a minute. But with this book, you know, everyone is talking about it. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's good that we have something like this. But honestly, I just sit here and I'm like, I don't really think it matters. I just don't think people really that, care. Right. People people read I mean this is the perfect example of the fact that it's on the bestseller before it before it's even released. You have to um, you have to take into account the fact that a lot of people are getting this as a gossip book the same way they would read Gawker and not right. Well not and literally to make a make a change in what they think about who should be president. Exactly. And that's how the Clintons are branding it. I think Hillary's doing a great job with that. She's I mean they've come out with a with a great statement about, hey, you know, it's another person writing another political book trying to profit off the political season and it belongs on the fiction shelf. I mean Right, and they've got their other attack dogs out there saying that, that he's a uh, you know, he's a traitor for revealing these secrets in the first place. Like we haven't heard a million tell all right. books from a million tell all uh, people all all along uh, after every president, right? Which which makes me go, you know, at this point, what difference does it make? You know, what difference does this book actually That's make? Right. I mean, I mean, just saying. So, uh, but so Benghazi, we got the Benghazi report yesterday. Again, we have this this tell-all report, if you will. But unfortunately, well, not unfortunate. I mean, the whole situation is terrible. But I I don't see anything here that. I think that if you're educated that you didn't already know or at least have a pretty strong appeal, uh, opinion that was going on. I mean, I guess it's now it's official that we know Hillary and Obama knew what was going on. We know that they conspired about the video. Is there anything, have you seen anything in this report that wasn't something that we already knew? I think that, I didn't know. One thing that I found um, that was brand new information to me was this controversy between Hillary and her, her advisors in the 18 hours of delayed action uh, over whether or not when Marines arrived, they should arrive in uniform. Yes, that was the one thing, the wardrobe issue. The wardrobe issue. I, I couldn't even believe what I was reading. Yeah. But they're arguing over uh, over whether or not the Marines, first of all, of course they should uh, arrive in uniform. I mean, if they were, God forbid, captured uh, right. and they were in civilian clothes, there goes the Geneva Conventions. But uh, but the fact that they were arguing about it just shows where her concern is. Where her concern was, how is this going to look? And not because she has some some fear of consequences of terror or consequences of uh, of revolt or Islamic um, attack, but because she has fear of consequences amongst you know the people, the circles in which she travels, of being seen as a as a liberal who does not hate Islam. That's her chief concern. Right, and I think that showed, too. You're, you're exactly right. That was one thing that I saw in there that, that surprised me as well. And when I read that, I was like, this is a total disregard for 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 our military personnel. Like, 
how can you be so ignorant? Exactly what you said is correct. I mean, the Geneva Convention goes out the window if they are not uniform when they show up on the scene. We've got people dying. We have an all-out conflict happening. And you're arguing over whether or not they should arrive in uniform? Are you serious right now? I mean, we've right. we've and settled the movie. The we've settled that we're going to blame a movie. Now we need to determine if they should actually be in uniform. That's right. And, and the fact that they actually physically had to change into and out of uniforms four times, that's the undermining of confidence in the military from above. I mean, that's terrible for good order and discipline. It's terrible for morale. Uh, you know, that you've got guys that are going to be out there theoretically risking their lives uh, under fire, in danger, and they don't even know if they're supported enough in this action that they're taking to show up and say, yes, we're with the Marine Corps. They don't even know if they're going to be allowed to say who they are. That's how little confidence Hillary Clinton has in what they're about to do or who it is that's about to do it. And as a former Marine myself, I find that pretty insulting. Yeah, and that element of this account alone in my personal opinion, makes her unfit to be president of, of anything, of McDonald's, of the United States for sure. That's right. Yeah. So so speaking of the presidency, let's let's hit the poll numbers. We had a bunch of polls recently, and I, I usually look at the Real Clear Politics averages. I don't know what you use. Sure, yeah. But uh, Hillary's been up in all of them recently, five, six, in some cases double digits. I think she's up 21 points in New Jersey right now, which isn't exactly wow. shocking, but still kind of a little bit shocking considering, you know, Chris Christie and all that good stuff. But anyway, we have this new Quinnipiac poll released today, and it appears to show Hillary and Trump in a dead heat. So dead heat. what's up with that? Well, first of all, with every every time you discuss polls, I do a um, poll wrap-up every Sunday. You always have to add in, of course, the polls uh, go up and down. But I think that the problem that we're having right now is there was a moment here that normally would favor Republicans. It would normally yeah. internally fire up Republicans after Orlando when, <clears throat> instead of blaming terror, Democrats attacked guns. They attacked guns instead of terror. They attacked the Christian right instead of foreign Islamic terrorists. That this was a time when Republicans would normal, normally rally around someone and say, look, this is ridiculous. At least our guy cares about America and Trump blew it. Trump blew that moment. And yeah. I think that that's going to that's going to pay off for Hillary for weeks. Yeah, no, he you're you're exactly right. When when he tweeted that he was going to meet with the NRA and discuss, you know, making it more difficult to get firearms that weren't it wasn't exactly the words that he used, but that was what he was implying. And then he starts talking about the no-fly list. You just yeah, <laughs> you just turned off a whole lot of your supporters. That's right. Yeah, he squandered uh, a possible boost in the polls right. um, in the first case. And in the second case, I guarantee you, and I, I've seen them, they've, uh, they've tweeted at me, uh, there are people who have up to now been with him that are now saying, you know what, if he can't even defend the Second Amendment, I don't know why I'm, I'm voting for him. So it was, a real, it was a real waste, real bad hit for the GOP. Just poor management and and definitely poor messaging. Yeah, for sure. And I think you saw that same thing with the SCOTUS decision earlier this week. Uh, the biggest yeah. abortion decision since, uh, I think, 2005. And nothing. Absolutely zero harm. Another huge opportunity, I think, wasted. Because you've got that, that branch of the GOP that's the, conser the, the morally conservative side that's 
I think a lot of them are waiting to see, okay, give us something. You know, give us a reason right. to support you. And he had that chance again and again, just missed it. And I think, you know, while many people like that he's not a politician and that's why he's so popular, at some point he's going to have to recognize this is an opportunity and I need to seize this opportunity. That's right. He has to say at some point, as a representative of a group of people, I have to take some of their interests into account. Yeah. And if, as he claims, he is the representative of the evangelical demographic, then he should be taking their interests into account. And definitely the pro-life movement is the top interest of the evangelical group. That and religious freedom. And those are two areas he doesn't capitalize on or focus on, and in, and in the case of the SCOTUS decision, completely ignores. Yeah, exactly. And I, what I found interesting in this Quinnipiac poll is that when you factor in uh, Gary Johnson and whoever that other guy is that's running on that other ticket, um, neither one, neither Hillary nor Trump breaks 39%. And I might that's be right. wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's fairly unprecedented. Right. In fact, at first, um, the third party was actually taking more away from Hillary mm-hmm. than from Donald Trump, which was a shocking result um, in any election, but especially in this one. Um, but the fact that they're breaking even on on being hurt by third-party candidates shows how unpopular they are, not just with one another's base, but with their own base, although Trump is uh, more unpopular with his party than Hillary is with hers. She's about 10 points higher in support from, she's about 80% support from Democrats, whereas Trump has about 70% from Republicans. So, uh, but they're both still very unpopular. Um, Neither one of them breaks the 50% barrier of likability. Both of them have extremely high negatives uh, when they're, when polling is done on individual questions. Um, The one area where Trump rightly edges Hillary out is uh, trustworthiness, because uh, as untrustworthy as you may or may not think Trump is, there's no question that she's not trustworthy. Right. There's just no question about it. Right. And, and if you can't beat the ultimate liar. Yeah. And and it's it's literally like we have the world's biggest unpopularity contest happening in America right now. That's right. It's like which one of us can be more unpopular and more disliked by the time we hit November? That's right. What they're trying to decide right now, what everybody in America is trying to decide, what November is going to decide is who do we dislike the least, mm-hmm. not who do we like the most. That's Yeah, it, it's unreal. And I think another big thing from this poll was uh, Hillary is, is leading the black vote right now 99% to 1. That is yes. unreal. Yeah, that, that's, pretty, that's a pretty amazing block. I think the real number to watch is going to be, maybe not right now while things are still in flux, but uh, after the conventions, and before the election, those those last yeah. weeks of polling is to see the uh, t- see the numbers of the Hispanic vote and which way they're coming. Yeah, so that'll tell us two things. It'll tell us one, a good idea of how the election is going to go, and it'll tell us two, um, depending on your perspective, either that Trump has damaged the Republican outreach to Hispanic voters, or that. Uh, that the uh, illegal immigration has been so damaging to the American population that Trump can't um, break in to Hispanic voters. So it could tell one of those two things, depending on your perspective. Sure, sure. So obviously the conventions are right around the corner. Do you think either one of these two, can Trump or Hillary help themselves by a VP pick? And if so, who would be some good choices for them? I don't think a VP pick can help Donald Trump. 
I think mm. it can help Hillary. But I do think the convention can do a lot mm. because uh, once he gets uh, faces recognized up on TV, advocating for him, speaking on his behalf, people from the campaign, former opponents, once you see them get up and make speeches, I think he'll definitely – I mean, there's always a post-convention bump. I think yeah. it'll be a little bit bigger for Donald. Uh, and I think the convention will do him a lot of good in the polls, a lot more than Hillary's convention will. But I think that she has a lot more to gain from a good vice presidential pick. I think conventional wisdom is, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders. I'm not sure if it's the best choice as a pair, but uh, it would definitely give her an immediate boost in the, in the um, ratings, so to speak. Yeah, and I think with on Trump's side, he has more to gain because there's more room for him to gain because he is so unpopular right. within the GOP right now. There are way more people for him to win over than there is Hillary. I mean, Hillary, 80% right. of them say, okay, yeah, we'll go along with this, whereas with Trump, he's got so, so much room to make up, so we should definitely see, see a bigger bump there. But, uh, Caleb, I'm going to have to take a break. Where can I find you on social media? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Caleb Howe and on Facebook uh, slash by Caleb Howe. By Caleb Howe. That's it. As in, like, bye-bye Caleb Howe or, like, written As by? As in uh, written <laughs> by, right. <laughs> All right. So it's at Caleb Howe, and it's redstate.com is where most of your work is. That's exactly right. I also uh, sometimes write for the American Spectator and Truth Cult. I love American Spectator as well. All right. So thank you, Caleb. Appreciate you being here. You at Caleb Howe on Twitter or redstate.com. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute to wrap things up for this morning. Don't go away. And welcome back. We're wrapping things up for today's edition of The Frittle Show. Remember, we're on iTunes. Just search The Frittle Show on iTunes, and boom, voila, we are there. You will know us by our cool flag logo that says The Frittle Show. It's original and um, wonderful. It's kind of a cool logo, I think. You can also check out my website at crystalheath.com. Not every podcast is up there, though, so you want to find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Same way. Just search The Frittle Show. And remember, not every show is a podcast. We want you to tune in live. I know we have been having some trouble with our online stream. Uh, what happened was we had a power failure, complete, total, everything dead power failure, uh, last week, and since then, it has been um, a a blessing. I was going to say a chore, but we consider we count it all joy. So therefore, it has been a a a different, special kind of blessing, trying to get everything back up and working the way that it should. So I know that our our online stream for those of you that are trying to listen at kvxl101.com, it's not always working. As it should be, but hopefully soon we will have that all figured out. All right, last story for the day. Since we were talking conventions, for those of you that may lean uh, toward the Democrat side of things or that may um, affiliate yourselves with the Democratic Party, uh, if you love Jesus, here are some things you may want to know about um, the new platform initiatives that the party has chosen to embrace even if you're, even if you, well, everyone I think will, will be interested in learning these things. First off, there, there are nine things. This is from the dailywire.com. Ben Shapiro is one of my favorite political commentators. Ben Shapiro. Look him up. Excellent. Number one, 
they have decided that it is now they are now supporting prosecution for people who disagree with the theory of anthropogenic climate change. According to the platform, it's not enough to back climate change legislation. Those who donate to groups like the Heartland Institute that make the case that fossil fuels are not the chief contributor to climate change should be actively prosecuted. So prosecution for climate change deniers. Number two, they are embracing the $15 minimum wage officially. The left's obsession with number 15 comes to a head in this latest proposal. They can't explain just why $15 per hour should be the minimum wage and why should Kansas companies pay the same minimum wage as Seattle ones, but they're all for it no matter how many jobs they kill. They also by the way, want to eliminate tips for waiters and waitresses, which is kind of not cool. They're like, $15 an hour, no more tips. All right. Number three, they are officially embracing the abolition of the death penalty. This is the first time the Democrats have ever explicitly called for abolishing the death penalty, although they've been moving toward this position for quite a while. But, by the way, they're all for the death penalty for unborn babies without any kind of due process and everything else. Number four, they would like to see abortion for everyone on earth at all times, all the places. According to the platform, the platform vows to oppose and seek to overturn all, all federal and state laws that impede access to abortion, including by repe- repealing the Hyde Amendment. It also strongly supports the repeal of harmful restrictions that obstruct women's access to health care around the world including the the global gag rule and the Helms Amendment, which bars U.S. assistance to other countries that provide safe legal abortions. Okay, so um, here's the thing. When they say safe abortions, there is no such thing. In an abortion, someone always dies. Everyone. There is no such thing as a safe abortion. It's a myth. Why why, Why is there a frozen ad that has just popped up on my screen? Go away. Go away, Anna. Okay. Number five, protectionism is back. Thanks to Bernie Sanders, the Democrats now embrace trade protectionism to protect workers' rights against the scourge of, quote, corporate profits. Number six, they want to increase entitlement programs to the extent that, you know, we'll bankrupt the country. 2011 marked the first year on record where Social Security took in less money than it paid out, but the Democrats aim to make that problem permanent. The committee added language that said we should achieve the goal of increasing Social Security by taxing some of the income, more of the income of people that make above $250,000. Problem is taxes at that level won't cover the burden. The math doesn't add up. Number seven, they want amnesty for pretty much everyone. The new Democratic platform adds several provisions designed to keep illegal immigrants in America at all costs. Keeping families together, ending family detention, closing private detention centers, and guaranteeing legal counsel for all unaccompanied minors in immigration proceedings. In other words, release everyone into the wind. The vast majority of detainees are currently in private detention centers, and force ICE to find attorneys for everyone they think should be, you know, possibly deported. Which means, in essence, that everyone gets to say. Number eight, they're officially embracing nationalized health care. Remember? the Obama administration of aiming for government-run health care. Now they're calling for it openly. They want access to public coverage through Medicare or a public option. This is called nationalized health care. 
given that subsidized medical programs will always be cheaper than private programs and will never go bankrupt since they can actively confiscate wealth from citizens to pay for their deficits. Number nine, increased crime. They didn't officially like write increased crime, but this is what they said. The current draft calls for the ending of the era of mass incarceration, shutting down private prisons, ending racial profiling, reforming the grand jury process, investigating, investing in reentry programs, banning the box to help give people a second chance, and prioritizing treatment over incarceration for individuals suffering addiction. The committee also voted unanimously to recognize the role activists and these advocacy played in putting the issue front and center in the national conversation as they should be. Okay, but here's the problem. There is no era of mass incarceration. What there is is criminals who have committed crimes are going to prison. Grand juries aren't a problem in America. Criminals are. Racial profiling has been illegal for years, but behavioral profiling is not. And forcing private businesses not to ask about prior crimes is ridiculous. If you're going to work in a bank, you know, maybe we should know if you're a bank robber. I'm just saying. It might be good, might be relevant, just a little bit. But that's all the time we have left for today. You're listening to 101.1 FM in Las Vegas, KVXL, Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church. We're going to go out today to Philip's Corner B with Your Grace Still Amazes Me. It should. It amazes me. Does it amaze you? Think about that. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone.